Good morning, ladies. Today we are looking at chapter 16 in the book of Matthew. Before we begin our study, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your love for us. We praise you for your infinite wisdom. We thank you for the divine work of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see you for who you truly are. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. And we ask that your word teach and encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll begin this morning by just reading verses 1 to 4 of chapter 16. So if you'd like to open your Bibles and read along with me. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show him a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. At the beginning of the chapter, we see again the Pharisees coming to Jesus. They have already revealed their unbelief and hardened hearts in chapter 12, 14, when, they, when we read, they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The religious ways of the Pharisees were on a collision course with the gospel mandate of Jesus Christ. And in the opening verse of Matthew 16, we see the rising tension yet again. Now they have enlarged their group and brought along the Sadducees to come and test Jesus. These two groups had nothing in common with each other but their opposition of Jesus. They saw Jesus as a threat to their leadership and power. Oh, no more questions for them. In their arrogance, they were saying, convince us with a sign, knowing full well in their hearts that they couldn't be convinced. Had they not just witnessed Jesus' miracles? Jesus was showing who he was and his authority through healings and the feeding of thousands. No, the Pharisees and Sadducees were enamored with their own power and position. They were more interested in being the authority than living under authority. So Jesus responds by telling them that they can read the simple signs in the sky to predict the coming weather, but they are blind to the sign that is right in front of them predicting what is to come in the kingdom of heaven. They can't see what is plain to see because they don't want to see it. If Jesus is who he says he is, then the Pharisees and Sadducees have much to lose. Jesus uses strong language here to rebuke them, an evil and adulterous generation. They ask for a sign and there will be no sign given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus points forward to his own death and resurrection. Jesus, in his mercy, points to the one sign that can change the Pharisees and Sadducees' hearts and open their eyes. Let's continue by reading verses 5 to 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? 
Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how much baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisee and Sadducees. Jesus and his disciples have left Magadan, crossed to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples have realized they have forgotten bread. And Jesus tells them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Notice how the disciples respond. They are confused. They begin discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. They leave Jesus out of the discussion and continue to discuss their perceived dilemma. They are flustered. They have just witnessed another very tense confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees. So after a swift departure from that, the disciples now find themselves without provisions. And Jesus knew his disciples, their hearts and their thoughts. He also saw how much the crowds of people and even his own disciples were attracted to and influenced by the teachings of the Pharisees. Listen to his response to them. He wants them to perceive, to understand and see. He wants them to know his bountiful provision and how that provision is limitless and the satisfaction that can only come from him. He takes their eyes off of their lack of physical bread and puts their eyes onto spiritual things. He repeats, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This emphasizes the importance of the warning. The disciples were influenced by the Pharisees. Remember back in Matthew 15, 12, Jesus has just called the Pharisees hypocrites and the disciples say to Jesus, quote, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying, unquote? Jesus is gently growing the faith and understanding of his disciples. He teaches that the leaven of the Pharisees, which is the teaching of the Pharisees, will defile your heart. Jesus reveals the hearts of the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8. It reads, quote, their heart is far from me, unquote. And we know that what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. The leaven teachings could expand, keeping self on the throne of heart, leading to unbelief with terrible consequences. And we have just seen the expansion of the leaven back in verse 1. The opposition has expanded to include the Sadducees. They come in self-righteousness to demand a sign. They are getting bolder. As we look, as the book of Matthew continues, we will see this rising leaven gather in number and confrontations. It will gather momentum until they lead the crowds to yell, crucify him. But here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is inviting his disciples to keep their hearts clean of Pharisaical leaven and full of the teachings of Jesus. In verse 12, we read that they understood to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's read verses 13 and 20 together. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus and his disciples have now entered the most northern area of their journey, the district of Caesarea Philippi. Here there are no crowds or distractions, no confrontations. After teaching with authority and showing his authority through his ministry, he wants to know from those closest to him, those who have witnessed everything, who people say he is. It's a timely question, since Jesus has not yet identified himself and the crowds have been left to draw their own conclusions. The crowds say he is a prophet, but they don't quite have it right. Really, Jesus only wants to know who his disciples say that he is. Jesus asks, but who do you say that I am? Peter declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter declares that Jesus is the Longford Messiah, the deliverer, the hope for his people. Peter got it right. Peter's declaration is a true confession of faith. And this is a climatic statement. The Jewish people have waited for thousands of years for this fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and again with the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7.14. This theme of the kingship of Christ is in every chapter of the book of Matthew. But so far in the book, no one has confessed Jesus as Christ. There has been a continuous revelation of who he is with a growing understanding in the disciples. And now it has finally culminated with this proclamation from Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You can feel the joy in Jesus' response to Peter. Finally, someone has truly understood. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This confession of Jesus as a Christ is a divine revelation for Peter and all who come to believe. And Jesus continues, quote, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. End quote. Jesus is looking forward to Peter preaching with great faith, full of the Holy Spirit, looking past the denial and the doubting to a man called as an apostle. Quote, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. End quote. These words point to the authority that Jesus will give to Peter and to all future leaders of the church. In 1 Peter 5, speaking to church elders, Peter calls himself a fellow elder, also under authority of the chief shepherd. Jesus repeats this statement regarding the keys of the binding and the loosening in Matthew 18, and we will study it more in depth at that time. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, 
has given Simon the new name Peter, meaning rock. When Jesus says he will build his church upon this rock, he is pointing to the reality of the confession that he is the Christ who will save and keep his people. Jesus builds his church through his disciples as they are led by his commands and empowered by his spirit. When Jesus tells the disciples that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, he is pointing forward to his resurrection when Jesus will defeat death and usher in an everlasting kingdom. Peter will be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter is to open the doors to the kingdom of heaven by confessing Jesus is the Christ and fulfilling the purposes of God to bring people into the kingdom. He is given authority. Then we see Jesus charged his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ because he knew the Jewish people were looking for a deliverer from Roman rule rather than a deliverer from the sins, from their sins. When Jesus builds his church, he uses disciples like you and me. Peter writes, quote, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And that's First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. We need to take our stand on Jesus' word and the reality of who he is, the Christ, and boldly confess it. We don't want to hide such a precious truth under a bushel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's continue on by reading verses 21 and 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We see back in Matthew 4, verse 17a, it reads, From that time Jesus began to preach. Now, that started a section in the book of Matthew that brings believers together to see who Jesus is and his authority. And likewise, here in Matthew 16, verse 21a, we read, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. This starts a second section of the book of Matthew, where Jesus teaches and equips his disciples, his true followers. Jesus begins to show sincere disciples what following him really means. There will be a cost to follow him and a need to be equipped to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Matthew also introduces us to the theme of Jesus as the suffering Messiah and the suffering that will mark the lives of his followers. Here in verses 21 to 23, the theme of the suffering Messiah is introduced. Jesus must suffer and be killed. Jesus lays out very clearly again, as in Matthew 12, what the sign of Jonah is, the only sign that he told the Pharisees and Sadducees that would be given. 
Jesus or Matthew 16 verse 12 says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is pointing forward to what is to come. He will suffer many things. He will be denied by religious leaders. He will be rejected, beaten, mocked. He will be falsely accused and suffer injustice by the very people he came to save. He will be killed. All this he must suffer to fulfill his father's plan. Can you imagine how shocking and devastating that news must have been to his disciples? Upside down, you bet. Jesus was thought to be the deliverer of his people from the oppressive Roman rule. In order to do that, he had to live. But if Jesus were to truly deliver his people, he had to suffer and die. Peter doesn't get it. Peter responds with, no, you don't have to do this. You don't have to die. And you can almost hear Peter thinking, oh, Jesus, just do some miracles. Show the Pharisees some signs. Gain a high position and become great here and now. Peter tells Jesus he can gain the whole world himself. Sound familiar? Sounds just like Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Bow down to me, Jesus, and I will give it to you. But the world was not something Jesus wanted to gain. Jesus came to exalt his father, become a savior, and establish a new kingdom, a new humanity. Peter was wanting to save Jesus from death, but in God's plan, it was through Jesus' death that Peter would be saved. Jesus' response is quick and firm. He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus tells Peter he is thinking like men. Jesus was in complete submission to God. He came to do the will of his father. Jesus showed his absolute obedience and submission to his father's will when he used the word must. The son of man must go to Jerusalem. Jesus would not bypass the crown cross. Early in Matthew chapter 1, an angel of the Lord told Joseph in a dream, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The only way to save his people was through the shedding of his blood. His suffering, death, and resurrection was the plan of his father. Jesus would not be hindered by even one of his closest followers. Jesus again warns his disciples to take their minds off the things of man and put them on the things of God. Notice how patient Jesus is with Peter. The disciple who got it right when he confessed Jesus as the Christ, the one commended by Jesus, now here, again showing a lack of understanding. Peter gets it, then he doesn't get it. But Jesus extends mercy. This is the Peter who would later write in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus knew that Peter would get it. By God's gracious patience, Peter grew in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he exhorts all believers in 2 Peter 3.18. What an encouragement for us.
Let's read together verses 24 and 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In these verses, we see what the life following Jesus, a life of discipleship, would look like. The kingdom of heaven is centered on Jesus Christ. The king, this kingdom does not elevate self, but requires a death to self. We are to live for Christ and unto Christ. The sign of Jonah shows the way into the kingdom. Now we need to identify with Jesus' death and resurrection, deny self, put self to the cross, and take up our cross and follow him, be consumed by him, worship him, love him. Taking up your cross is the way to life. And if it is the way to life, we should embrace it. Self is abased. It is put to death. Galatians 2.20 reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To follow Jesus, we have to do as Jesus did. Jesus rejected gaining the whole world. We must reject gaining the whole world. What good would it do us? Jesus embraced humility and obedience. Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8 read, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Followers must embrace humility and obedience. We do this in the knowledge of the cross and we ultimately gain everlasting life. True life and true faith are evidenced in our works. It is a common theme in scripture that God will render to each according to his work. There is a glorious hope given in verses 27 and 28, a hope for the future when Christ returns. Therefore, the cost is worth it. That is a motivation and encouragement to remain loyal to Jesus Christ. So as we study chapter 16, we see clearly the division of two camps. First, those who oppose Jesus, who have self reigning on the thrones of their hearts. And secondly, we see those who follow Jesus, who have Jesus reigning on the throne of their hearts. But the teachings of the opposition, specifically the teaching of the Pharisees, are powerful and influential and feed self-exaltation. And that is why Jesus sternly warns against the teachings. 
Then the confession of Peter, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The confession is the climax of dethroning self and putting Christ on the throne of our hearts. With that confession then comes a life of self-denial as we follow Christ. Ladies, let's be aware that we are in a daily battle with sinful self. We have simple, selfish desires. We have selfish ambitions. We have selfish thoughts and words. Let's be reminded afresh to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand the schemes of the evil one. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the ultimate example of self-abasing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you strengthen and encourage us as we follow the self-abasing example of our Savior. We ask that you continue to grow us in the knowledge of what, is, what it truly means to die to self and live for Christ. We pray that in your precious Son's name. Amen.